Have you ever heard that phrase, jumping to conclusions? You ever heard that? I think we all of us have jumped to a conclusion uh, at least one time in our lives, probably a lot of times. You know what that means. It means that we have come to a conclusion without really thinking about it or reasoning through it. We've oftentimes reacted. Uh, I, I, you know, sometimes when we jump to conclusions, uh, the conclusion is wrong. Would you agree? And sometimes it leads to terrible consequences. It can lead to division or breakup of a relationship. It could lead nations to go to war with one another. Uh, it could turn friends into enemies. You know, that's, a, that's a big difference between us and God. While we often jump to conclusions, God never jumps to a conclusion. God doesn't jump to conclusions. God knows exactly what he's going to do at all times. And God knows exactly what we're going to do and what we're going to say. That's why, you know, God's a holy and just God. He doesn't, nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing, you know, uh, puts him on guard. He always is the same, always. And so when God acts in our behalf, it's always the right thing. It's always the good thing for us. Now, in our passage today, as we return to those people Jesus encountered, in this passage, I see a woman. A woman who stood accused before an angry crowd, but also before the just and holy God. And what would happen to her is important for us today. Would she receive judgment or mercy? Turn with me to John chapter 8 and let's see. As we continue to look at our sermon series, Person of Interest, John chapter 8. If you're willing and able, let's stand and honor God's Word today. I know you sat down, but let's, stand, let's honor this Word. And let's pay close attention to what the Lord might say to us through it. Verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. I'll deal with that in a moment. Now early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman called in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was called in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Thrown, you know, stones at her, killed with stones. But what do you say? Well, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse Jesus. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his fingers, though he did not even hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Let him be the first one. Throw that stone, cast that stone. Hmm. And then again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
And then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, today we seek your face. Father, Lord, I pray everybody in this place, everybody that listens to me today, that they will realize we're in your midst. We're standing before you as guilty as that woman. And we need your mercy. And it is for your mercy that we seek, and it is for your mercy that we give thanks. That you have shown us mercy, grace, and love through the death, your death on the cross. Help us never get over it, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The setting was Jerusalem. During and just after the Feast of Tabernacles, I want to talk about it for a minute, the Feast of Tabernacles in Hebrew, Sukkot. Sukkot means booze or tabernacle. Sukkot means a tent. It, it was a celebration, a, a remembrance of how God delivered the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. How he, while they, a million of them, traveled through the desert, they needed a lot of help. And God provided, while they were living in tents, God was providing bread and water and meat for them, for his people. When they were in the wilderness wandering for 40 years, God didn't even let their sandals wear out. Can you imagine that? What a great God. And every year God ordered that they would remember this time when he delivered his people from bondage into the promised land. Sukkot. This feast was eight days, uh, seven days of continuous celebration, rejoicing. And then an eighth day when they assembled in a solemn assembly. It was one of the three feasts God ordered his people to hold in Jerusalem. That's why Jesus was in Jerusalem at the temple in John chapter 8. Well, let me read some of what happened in chapter 7 so you get the background. Now about the middle of the, I'll have it on the screen for you. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught. And on the last day, the great day of the feast, that's day 7 by the way, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. For six days, a priest would take a golden pitcher from the temple during the feast. And he would take that pitcher and go down, walk out of the temple, go down to the pool of Siloam. And he would dip his pitcher in the water, his pitcher in the water and pull out a pitcher of water. And all along the way, the people were waving branches and saying what Isaiah said. We shall gather water from the wells of salvation, Hoshianu, Hosanna, which means save us now. It's 
not only a harvest feast where they're celebrating God's provision, but a prayer that the Lord will save them. And for six days, the priest, he would take water and he would dip it in the pool from the temple down the steps down to the pool to dip into the water. Then he would go back to the temple and they were, they were waving and celebrating this journey. And then he walked around the altar and poured the water out day one. For six days he did this. Every time water, rejoicing, celebrate, worship, and then around the altar and pour out the water day two. And he did this for six days. And on the seventh day, the great day of the feast, the priest took the golden pitcher and he went out of the temple and down to the pool of Siloam and he dipped water and he walked back and they were waving. It was the great day of the feast. They were shouting even louder. We shall gather water from the wells of salvation. God's well of salvation. Save us God. Hoshianu, Hosanna. Save us God. He's carrying that pitcher. And this time he goes to the altar and he walks seven times around the altar while the chants, the celebration, the worship gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And then he pours it out. And chapter 7 says it was then, at the, how fitting on the great day of the feast, that Jesus, while the people are shouting, save us, and the water from the pool of Siloam is being poured out. Jesus stands and says, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture is set out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. The prayer for mercy, for salvation was met in Jesus. How fitting that Jesus would cry. He makes, no, he makes no mistake. There's no accident. He's doing it purposefully right then that Jesus would say to those people who are thirsting for God's salvation, you have been commemorating how God gave your ancestors water to drink in the desert and you're going to go home and you're still going to thirst. The, cell, the feast is going to be over and the water is going to be poured out. But now, come to me. I've got what you need. I'll satisfy your, your thirst with a living water that will never run dry. How many of you know this world, whether they believe it or not, is dying of thirst? They are. They're dying of thirst. A spiritual thirst. Friends, every need, whether for this life or the next, is met. In one person, Jesus Christ. The God who gave Israel water for life in the desert can give you eternal life today. The God who rained manna down from heaven can give you bread for today and eternal life for the future. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. And Paul said, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. By who? Christ Jesus. He's all you need. 
All our needs are met in Jesus, and that's what stirred up these religious leaders in Israel. The scribes, the Pharisees, the priests wanted the people to come to them to be submissive to their authority. Jesus challenged their authority every time he touched and healed the blind, the deaf, the crippled, the hungry, the dead. These religious leaders, they didn't have this power. All they could do was use the Old Testament law like a weapon against the people. Verses 2 through 5, notice with me. Now early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman called in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, this woman was called in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what? Do you say? Isn't that something? They have just ended the greatest celebration of the year, really. I mean, this has been this has been such an amazing time. Amazing. And the people have worshipped and they have left rejoicing. They have shouted, shouted, shouted praises and prayers to holy God. And what do the Pharisees do with it? They bring a problem. Isn't it? Uh, I mean, that, you know, uh, the, the people are excited, but now here comes their problem. You understand? You know, there's some people that really are killjoys. I mean, they just... They can't stand for somebody to be happy. Have you ever known anybody like that? They just can't stand it. They just can't stand if somebody is really... Uh, there are people... You, you may know people like, you are so on fire for Jesus and you got somebody that wants to pour water on that fire. They're not happy. You're happy, but they're not. They're not going to be happy till you're miserable like they are. And that's what these Pharisees are. That's what they did. Notice what happened here. It was the next, the next day of the feast. Celebration over. And the crowds who had gathered for the feast, they came back to the temple because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. They wanted to get some bread for their souls. And while this crowd of people were feast, this crowd was feasting on his word, the scribes and Pharisees, they forced their way into the front with this woman caught in the act of adultery. And they set her in the middle of their circle with all the, not just their eyes, but the eyes of the crowd staring at her. Okay, put yourself there. All eyes now are staring at her as they air her sin before others. And they gave their conclusion. This woman was caught in the act of adultery and we say she should be stoned to death. Now, that was the Old Testament adultery, uh, definition of adultery. Adultery is the betrayal of the marriage vow. It is intimacy between two individuals who are already married to someone else. That's called adultery. Now, in the New Testament, adultery can take on other meanings, but that was the Old Testament definition of adultery. That's what the, the scribes and Pharisees had. And they had found her guilty of adultery. Um, 
The law gave a stiff penalty for it. Deuteronomy 22, listen to what the Old Testament law said. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away evil from Israel. The Old Testament law defined a lot of sins like this, called for extreme punishment, even death, because God wanted to purify his people by removing sinfulness from them and sinful practice from them. There was just one problem here with the law. That was the problem. The problem was that no one kept all the law. Yeah? And certainly not these Pharisees. No. They brought this woman in the middle of the crowd and condemned her for adultery. But listen to what Jesus said uh, to them. In Matthew 23, then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. And he said, you know, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. And therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For, for you pay tithe of mint and anise, anise and cumin. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, such as... What? Are you with me? Such as what? Justice and mercy and faith. Oh, they could tell you what's wrong. But they neglect mercy. Huh. These you ought to have done, Jesus said, without leaving the others undone. Those Pharisees, driven by hatred for Jesus, they were not trying to help this woman find God. They were using this woman to embarrass Jesus. They, they must have taken her during the night, you know, or first thing in the morning. I'm sure that's, why, that's the only way. You know, it was the night before they found her in the act of adultery. You know, and, they, and so what does that mean about this whole scene? It means that these self-righteous, Jesus called them hypocrites, have gone in the middle of the night and they have found a woman who is sleeping with a married man and she is committing adultery and they have taken her from that place and now it is they hold her until morning. We don't know what she's been through. We don't know if she's been through, if they've derided her, chastised her. We just don't know, condemned her, accused her all night long we don't, for the rest of the night. We don't know. But it's not till the next day that they bring her out in the middle of this crowd and, and before Jesus. Uh, folks, something's, not, something's just not right here. And my big question in my mind, do you have a question like I have? Where's the man? Where's the man? Doesn't it take two to commit adultery? So why did they bring her out but not the man? I mean, don't, don't tell me that they lost him because I'm going to tell you something. She was caught in the act of adultery. What does that mean? He's there, right? Where's the man? You Pharisees. You people that want to condemn someone, you want to put the blame and point the finger. There's people like that today. You know that, right? I mean, they just want to criticize anybody for anything. And they put their finger at, and they're pointing there. And they are, what are they doing? There's something not right about this. 
If these religious leaders were really interested in justice, then why did they only bring the woman? I'll tell you why, because of verse 6. Just to begin the first 6, look at it. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. This they said to test Jesus. That's why they had this woman here. It had nothing to do with justice. It had, it had everything to do with retribution. They hated Jesus. They wanted to destroy Jesus. What was their conclusion? I, this is what I come up with. The conclusion of the scribes and Pharisees. Number one, this is what they said. They jumped to the conclusion. This is it. Number one, the, the woman's guilty of adultery and worthy of death. Again, where's the man? Uh, second, the scribes and Pharisees, they have the authority to condemn the woman. Right? They're condemning her. Uh, number three, Jesus, this is their conclusion, Jesus will fail to uphold the law and thus will become guilty himself and deserving of death. Uh, folks, it doesn't take rocket science. What do does, does these people want to do to Jesus? Kill him, right? Destroy him, crucify him. That was the ultimate goal of these religious leaders, the death of Jesus. The woman was, was only a pawn in their wicked plan to discredit and destroy Jesus. And that's why they waited to bring those charges against the woman until Jesus had a crowd around him. That's also why the man was not brought in at the same time. It was all a plot against Jesus. You think Jesus knew what they were doing? Absolutely. Verse 6, then... This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Jesus knew what was behind this charge against this woman. It was not justice or respect for the law. It was a plot to entrap Jesus. These self-righteous hypocrites look down their noses at both the woman and Jesus demanding an answer to their charge. But what did Jesus do while they're ranting and raving? Jesus stoops down, writes on the ground. Like you don't even hear them. Not paying attention to them. Friends, the God who created this world and commands the angelic host of heaven does not have to give his attention to anyone. Not even me and not even you. Just remember that. He does not have to hear anyone's prayer. In fact, people say, why doesn't God hear my prayer? He doesn't have to. He doesn't. You don't deserve to have your prayer heard. I don't deserve to have my prayer heard. God does not have to answer any silly, one silly charge. God, why have you let this person do this to me? God doesn't have to answer your charge. God does not have to give account to you. God, listen, but you've been done wrong. There's been an injustice done. God does not have to solve your problem. God does not have to answer your prayer. God does not have to do anything when it comes to you. He does not. He is God. He's got a billion, a trillion more things to do. 
when he deals with you, it is because he loves you and chooses to. And these people thought they could trick Jesus and trap, entrap Jesus and make him say something. And what did Jesus do? He's rolling the ground like he ignored them all. I love it. I love it. I want you to know that it is, let's get this in our minds today, it is a, an absolute privilege for us to have an audience with the King of Kings and no one deserves it. Especially not people like these Pharisees who think so much of themselves. They brought this woman before Jesus and started condemning her and Jesus ignored them and he wrote in the dust, obviously just rejecting their demand. What do you say, Jesus? Jesus just met their demand with silence. Verse 7 and 8. So when they continued asking him over and over again, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Let him throw the first stone. Okay, uh, you who are without sin, uh, you be the first to throw the stone. That's the way we'd say it, wouldn't it? And then he stood, what did he do? Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. <laughs> well, that was certainly not what they expected him to say. What did they expect from Jesus? I think there's two things they expected. First, the Pharisees expected Jesus to condemn the woman sinner. That's the first possibility. If Jesus had condemned the woman, then the Pharisees would have said, ah, Well, you're no different than we are. Or, number two, the Pharisees expected Jesus to overlook the woman's sin. You know, if Jesus had ignored this woman's sin and criticized the Pharisees, then they would have said Jesus enabled the woman in her sin and they, they, that he didn't help her at all. And they would have been right. But what did Jesus do? What Jesus did? Number one, Jesus exposed the greatest need of the Pharisees and that was to recognize their lost and sinful condition. You know, Jesus didn't argue with them. He didn't criticize them. His word challenged them to examine their own hearts, and they did. In verse 9, Then those who heard Jesus say that, Well, okay, you who have never sinned, you cast the first stone. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. There were some young and old people here. Yeah. It, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in the midst. I don't really know if they were holding hard rocks in their hands, you know, and I, we kind of get that picture that they, you, that while Jesus is riding on the ground, you can hear the, the dropping, thudding of the rocks on the ground. We don't know that, but one thing we do know is that once their hard hearts were disarmed, they were forced to see themselves as sinners, and they walked away. An encounter with Jesus forces us to come face to face with who we are in the eyes of God, folks. The law which the Pharisees used to condemn others convicted them of their own sins. Paul said, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. And that's what Jesus did right here. And all the world may become guilty before God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many people have sinned? 
Yes, the Old Testament law proved to be incapable of salvation. If the Old Testament law would have saved anybody, then Jesus would not have had to die on that horrible cross. But it's not because the law was flawed. It's because man is flawed. They took the perfect man, the Son of God, Jesus coming to the world, obeying every command of His Father's law, and then die as a sacrifice according to the law, as a substitute for our sins. That's what was required for us to have mercy. Peter said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. These men knew the law, these Pharisees, but they didn't know the lawgiver. They, they not only failed to recognize Jesus as their Messiah and their Savior, but they tried to destroy Jesus. And Jesus turned the words of the Pharisees around to make them see their own guilt. Let the one who's kept all the law execute the judgment of the law upon the one who has not. And when they heard the words of Jesus, they saw their own failures. But instead of turning to Jesus for help, what did they do instead of turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're right. I'm guilty of sin also. Instead of confessing their sin, what did they do? They walked away. They turned away from Jesus. Second thing he did, Jesus not only exposed their lost condition, but Jesus exposed the greatest need of the woman, repentance and mercy. With the scribes and Pharisees gone, now Jesus could help the woman who was left, verses 10 and 11. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? I don't see any bruise marks on you. No rocks have been thrown. She said... No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Read that with me. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wow. Wow. Oh, man. What a beautiful, beautiful verse. Scribes and Pharisees were not worthy to condemn this woman because they themselves were sinners deserving of judgment. But with them gone, the woman found herself in the presence of the one who really is the holy and righteous judge of all. Jesus could have condemned her. He could have said, you're guilty. Be condemned. He could have sentenced her to an eternity in hell paying for her sin. But he didn't. Instead, Jesus saw her heart, her need for repentance, her greatest need to be forgiven and cleansed, and her slate wiped clean. And she got that opportunity when Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, go. And sin no more. Sinful man's greatest need, folks, is for God's mercy. Without mercy, man would be lost forever. Look into the faces of the people in that crowd that day. The scribes and Pharisees needed mercy, but they walked away. The woman needed mercy. She stayed to receive it. That's that main point I see in the story today. Our faith principle. Let's read it together. Through faith, in Jesus Christ, we find mercy when we deserve condemnation. The woman came to Jesus a sinner and she found mercy. She heard the most wonderful words she could ever hear from Jesus. I don't condemn you. That's mercy, folks. That's the mercy of a God of grace. Those words are life, not just for her, but for anyone who will receive them. However, in order to receive the mercy, she had to want Jesus more than her sin Go and sin no more, he said. 
She had to want Jesus more than the man she had been with the night before and maybe longer. To find forgiveness and eternal life, she had to want Jesus more than anything in this world. And folks, that's what we must want. You see, the cross is the great equalizer. At the cross of Christ, everyone's equal. Everyone's a sinner in need of God's mercy. The Pharisees, the woman, the crowd that was all left there. They needed to hear the words Jesus said. You and I and every person needs to hear the words Jesus said. Neither do I condemn you. I love you. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. New life comes after mercy is received. And God's mercy given to those who don't deserve it comes from His grace. Paul said in Ephesians 2, God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in sin made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. God is a God of mercy. In the Old Testament, that word mercy is used over and over again to describe God. Read these verses with me as we go through them today. For the Lord, read with me, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Keep going. For the, mer- the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever louder. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for His mercy endures forever louder. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endures forever. To Him alone who does great wonders, for His mercy endures forever. To Him by wisdom made the heavens. Say it, for His mercy endures forever. On that day, when a sinful woman was brought before Jesus, the Pharisees jumped to conclusions about the woman, what Jesus would do. They said the woman was guilty. They were justified in killing her. Jesus would fail the test. But what they discovered was that Jesus is just and right. They were guilty and wrong. And the woman found mercy in Jesus. What she needed most, they all needed. The mercy of God that endures forever. Folks, aren't you glad God's mercy endures longer and farther than your sin? What this woman needed most was what we need. The mercy of God. Amen. She was guilty of betraying her husband physically, but there's another kind of adultery, folks, and everyone there was guilty of it. Spiritual adultery. Adultery of the heart is betrayal against God. It's the willful act of choosing to engage in sin and disobey God. It means we've all been guilty of spiritual adultery. As Jesus said in Matthew 15, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, that's lies, blasphemies, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. That's a condition we all find ourselves in sometime. And it's just as much betrayal as the woman who was in standing before Jesus. In fact, what we really see in this picture is a whole crowd of adulterers. All in that crowd have betrayed God. And who among us hasn't betrayed God at some point in our lives? Whenever we have followed our own sinful desires instead of staying close to Jesus, we've been guilty of spiritual adultery. You may be today trying to start a new day in your life. But what about all the past days where you have failed God, where you have chosen to do your thing instead of God's thing? There are people you know, they're doing their thing instead of God's thing. 
Aren't you glad that His mercy can go back and forgive you for all those past sins? And they can, He can forgive you now and He can forgive you in the future because how long does His mercy endure? Forever. All those sinners were pointing at one sinner, condemning one sinner, and that yet they were all guilty. She was the person of interest, but the truth of the matter is she was just one in a crowd of many who needed to repent, be forgiven, and follow Jesus. And the good news is Jesus is all ready to forgive. He always is. His mercy endures forever. These same Pharisees would soon put Jesus in the midst, right? And they would accuse him of sin. Of course, their accusations would be lies, but they would jump to a conclusion. He was, going, he was going to destroy the temple. He blasphemed against God. All lies. Jesus would be surrounded by their accusations. But when Jesus stood before them, there was no one to rescue him. No one. No one. Jesus would be betrayed by everyone. He would hang between heaven and earth on a cross, between a holy God and a sinful world, and give His life for all of us who need His mercy. He shed His own blood as an offering for us so that we could receive His mercy, so that we could be forgiven and brought into a love relationship with Him. Through Him, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have a relationship with God that means we can approach Him and find mercy every day. Through Jesus, we can find forgiveness in everything else we need. Strength, healing, help. The writer of Hebrews said, Seeing that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, who endured the cross. Let us hold fast our confession, for we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. Have you got a need? Are you going through a time of need? Come to the throne where you can get that mercy. In John 8, a woman found help. She found mercy and forgiveness in the presence of Jesus. And that same mercy was available to the crowd who watched and listened. That mercy was available to the Pharisees who walked away. That mercy is available to us. And I believe that woman got up from there and I believe she had new life. I believe she did what Jesus said. Go and sin no more. And she went out and lived her life to follow Jesus. And then Jesus said to the crowd that was still listening. Then Jesus spoke to them again. And here's what he said. Would you read it with me? I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. Amen. On that day, those who receive mercy from Jesus also receive the opportunity to follow Jesus. In fact, we can't have one without the other. Grace, mercy, new life, and a new walk are all of what, part of what it means to follow Jesus. And when we've been to Jesus and we've given Him our hearts and He's come to live within us, Life doesn't change for a moment. We're changed forever. And although we might stray, we might wonder when we've truly found His mercy, we're always going to come back because we know there's no greater joy than being forgiven 
Set free by the mercy of God. There's no greater joy in life than walking with Jesus, having Him there with us, knowing He's there. When we've received Him by faith and received His mercy, we want to show others mercy. Think about the, whim, the woman who found His mercy. From that moment, she had a powerful testimony. I receive mercy. Think about your testimony. I receive mercy. You go out now and show that mercy. Be the good Samaritan. Jesus said, who was this man's neighbor? The one who showed him mercy. You be like that good Samaritan. You show mercy. You be like Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You be the instrument of God's mercy and change somebody's life with it. It happened many years ago in a small town in one of our, the southern states and one even during an electrical storm, a bolt of lightning struck a house and set it on fire. The fire spread quickly, burned the house to the ground. A man and his wife died in that fire, but, one, but their little boy, eight-year-old Billy, survived. Well, they had no relatives. So the boy was placed in an orphanage. And many times people would stop by looking for just the right boy to adopt, but they got babies and left that little eight-year-old boy. And for four years, he stayed in the orphanage. He was 12 years old, and he knew no one would want him. He came to the orphanage. He interviewed three, a couple interviewed three boys. They came and interviewed three boys all about the same age, and Billy was one of them. And... The head of the orphanage said, well, which one of these three boys do you prefer? And the couple said, hey, we'll take all three of them. Well, let me talk to them and see what their response is. Well, two of the boys said, we've made a home here at the orphanage. We want to stay. They were threatened by what was outside. But Billy, longing for a family again, wanted to go. And so for the first time, he was taken into a family, and he had a family again. And his new parents treated him as though he was always part of that family. He had two brothers that were natural children to his adopted parents. But as time passed, Billy was so much part of that family. He said people thought they were, people thought Billy was their natural child. They loved him so much. And because he loved them so much, he began to take on their characteristics. One day he told a friend, I have two brothers who were born naturally to my parents. But my parents are my parents because they're my mom and dad because they chose me. Those parents could have passed Billy by, but they chose him. Through, they showed him mercy. God doesn't owe us anything, folks. But he chooses to show us mercy. No one could force Jesus to go to the cross for us. He did it because he loves us and he wanted to show us mercy. When I asked him to forgive my sin and come into my life a long time ago as my Savior, he didn't have to do that, but he chose me and chose to show me mercy and make me one of his children. And nothing in this world is greater than that because he is, and because he's shown you mercy, you're his forever. You're his. You're his son. You're his daughter. And your life should never be the same. If you've received his mercy, then live like it. Don't let Satan keep beating you down with guilt and shame. Just go live for Jesus.
live in his new life, live with his mercy, live his mercy, look for opportunities to show his mercy. A woman who has failed. A person who has messed up. A boy who needs a family. Reach out with God's mercy and change your life with it. Let's bow. Let's face it, in this story, all of us are in that crowd, somewhere in the crowd, where either that woman accused of adultery or, or that crowd looking on, or one of the Pharisees not caring a thing about Jesus or eternity. Which one are you? I hope you're not one of those Pharisees thinking that you're better than others and you're going to live forever and you don't have anything to worry about, folks. If you don't turn to Jesus and be forgiven, if you don't accept Him as your Savior, you'll spend eternity separated from Him and life in heaven. Are you in the crowd watching, trying to decide when to make a decision to follow Jesus? Well, today's your day because it was no accident that you heard this message. God wanted to say something to you, did He? Maybe you need to show mercy to someone who jumped to a conclusion about you and has caused you pain. Remember, Jesus took your sin. It was painful for him to show you mercy. Ask him for help today. He'll help you say those words to someone who has wronged you. He'll help you say, I don't, I don't condemn you, I forgive you. Maybe, if you're, maybe you're the woman that needs to hear, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Why don't you ask Jesus to be your Savior? Why don't you say right now, pray, dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you suffered and in agony you shed your blood so that you could show me mercy. Jesus, I need you. I need your mercy. Have mercy on me. Forgive me for all my sins. Come into my life and be my Savior. Clean me out. Clean out all the mess in me. All the past, the present and future it is dirty. Wash me clean. Forgive me. And I'm going to follow you. I hear your words. Go and sin no more. Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my life. I accept you today as my Savior and Lord forever. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, that's the greatest prayer. Jesus is living in your heart. Oh, let him live through you. To change the life of someone. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for your word. Your Holy Spirit has spoken. I pray that we will do what you've, caught, what you've asked us to do today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Just obey the Lord. I'll be at the front to pray for you if you need me to pray for you or talk to you. Stand with us as we sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.